Hello. Oh, we got a long parak today. I'm gonna have to move fast. Okay, so parak chaf hey. Go screen share. Oh, I forgot to get the map. Okay, sorry about that. Did not get the map. Okay, so here we are. You could see in this um, scenario that it's a one long narrative, very long. There are 44 psukim in this parak, so I'm going to have to talk really fast. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so basically, it's it's one story. It's the story of David, Naval, and Abigail. And um, there's sort of been a, a, a sea change in David's career because in the last parak, we saw how Shaul recognizes and states openly, I know that you're going to be the next king, which is really a game changer. It's really a game changer. And as if echoing that comment, we have a major player that leaves the scene now, Pasuk Aleph. By Yamat Shmuel. By Okay, so let's just first of all look at the map. I have a map here. Okay, this map is from the Dot Maker Atlas and it shows you all the different wanderings of David. You see back and forth and back and forth. So here's Yerushalayim. And David's been basically rolling around the territory of Yehuda. He's from Yehuda. He expects support from Yehuda, which he doesn't get, um, and it's going to get worse. But this is where he's hanging out. Now, Shmuel is from Ramah. So I actually have a lot of trouble with the whole Ramah thing, because as I look from my window, I can see Nebi Samuel. <laughs> so I know that uh, according to our tradition, Shmuel is buried um, on the way from Ramot to Gibbatzev, which means north, uh, that's kind of north, northwest of Yerushalayim. On this map, I meant to get to another map where at the beginning of Shmuel Aleph, when we find out that Hana and Elkanah from Ramataim Sofim, the parents of Shmuel, so then we see that uh, it also says from Harifrayim. So that's where I got into some difficulty because Harifrayim is much further north. If you take a look at this map, a second, a regular map that I took from the Dega Press. Okay. I open these all up and then they make me open them again. Okay, so according to this map, I can make this a little bigger, right? Here's Jerusalem, here's Ramah, but here's Herophrayim. So I had a little difficulty here and I was hoping that that Mikra would settle it for me, but it doesn't. And it does put Ramah here. Now, if this is Givat Shaul, the biblical Givat Shaul is sort of on the way to Nebayako, and the biblical Ramah must be here, um, on the way to Gibbatzev, where the cover of Shmuel is. So that seems to me to make sense. Now, in our story, David is, seems to have a, attended or been around for this funeral of Shmuel. At least, at least he seems to be on the scene. And then we're told that he goes down here. You see where it says all the way at the bottom, Midbar Paran. Now, Paran is all the way, all the way far south. <coughs> and um, we have to figure out, like, he's been the whole time in this area of Yehuda. And after Shmuel dies, he leaves. Well, let's get into Shmuel's death for a minute. And then we can go on with the story of Naval. Okay, so the few questions you have to ask is, like, what is the reason that Shmuel's death happens at this point, or, or we're told at this point? And uh, there's a few different things that the Hazal say here. And because time is really, really short, it's a really, really long parak. I'm just going to kind of have to talk fast. So basically, the view of Hazal 
is that Shmuel died at the age of 52. Let me work this all out chronologically. It's difficult. It's very hard. We don't have time to go into that today. The Barbernell has a different count. The Barbernell says Shmuel died um, older. In any event, it's, we're told that he was old. So Shmuel was old. So 52 doesn't seem very old. Certainly the older you get, the younger 52 seems. And that's just a fact of life. <laughs> right, but um, but according to Hazal, uh, he, he came to Hashem and he said, I don't want to die, you know, and see my handiwork die. He didn't want to um, have Shoal die in his lifetime. So he actually dies um, about seven months, they say. The Hazal worked that out. Seven months before the death of Shaul. And he shows his protege, his, his uh, special student and disciple, and he can't bear to be alive when Shaul dies. That's what the Hazal say. So he said, I want to I die before Shaul dies. And God says, well, if you die young, people will think that, you know, you did something wrong. So he aged prematurely so that people wouldn't talk. It's a very interesting Hazal statement. In any events, Shmuel's death is a tremendous loss for the Jewish people. All the Jewish nation gathered to mourn for him. And this is a very, very important principle that we have to remember. You know, when a great person, when a tzaddik dies, when we lose someone, we, we gather and we mourn. The Jewish people, are, we're told that they, they mourn when Aaron dies, everybody mourns. And later on, at the end of Sefi Yoshua, we're told that they buried Yoshua in Hargaash. And the, um, the Chazal come in Hargaash, there is no such place as Hargaash. It means an earthquake. And the uh, Chazal say there, there was an earthquake in the world, God wanted to, you know, destroy the Jews because they did not mourn Yeshua properly. So it seems that they learn their lesson. They all gather. They all mourn him. Aspid here is more to mourn than to eulogize, which would be the more exact modern translation. And you see that the Jewish people recognize the greatness of Shmuel, even though they rejected him back in chapter 8. They still loved and revered him. So they bury him in his house in Ramah, which seems very odd. And the, the beautiful medrash here, it says here, uh, okay, Nice one. I'm not sure why everything has to load 20 times when I prepared it all. But in any event, it seems to me that the Radak says this. The message was that um, um, okay, I'm not going to bother with that. Every place, every city, every city mourned him. This is the the uh, Hazal, and it's brought in. It was in a, a sort of esoteric source I didn't bring for you, in the Tosefta and Sota, that Melamecha Safdulo Kol Yisrael The same way that his townspeople in Ramah mourned him. The entire nation, every city mourned him. And I thought that was like a very, very beautiful medrash comment on the love everyone had for Shmuel, the great Shmuel. And, um, you know, the, the death of a tzaddik is, is a kapara. It is a um, momentous event. No one should ignore that. And I think today, you know, when we see what happens in Israel, like, you know, the, the, these kadoshim, the people who have died, the soldiers, and... Uh, um, the recognition 
that everyone has that they should all participate. That's a very, that's a very great thing and a very great uh, merit for Jewish people. So to recognize the, the loss of a great person. Okay, the effect this has on David is he has to go down to Midbar Parman. And the question is why? And uh, the Malam says something very interesting here. He says, In other words, after Shul's death, the fact that Shul had anointed David to be the new king became public. And that was a very big thing because up until now, you know, David's running around and nobody really knows what's the story with David and Shul's chasing David. But Shmuel tells people that he had anointed David. The people let this information out after the death of uh, Shmuel. And it seems that the status of David is changing here. And uh, he's more afraid of Shaul when this gets out. And he has to go further away. That seems to be the shot. Now he meets uh, Naval and his, uh, his story. And the, the rest of the parak perhaps with the exception of the last uh, Pasuk or two, it's all about this story. So, Pasuk bet. There was a man in Ma'on, and his doings were in Carmel, and he was a very great man, right? And right away, they say that he's not a great man because he's a tzad, he's a great man because he's very rich. Rashi says, Ashir. The load so much, 3,000 sheep, but Elif is even a thousand goats, but he exhausted so noble Carmel. And it was at the time when he was shearing his sheep. Okay, and um, uh, one of the things we should say about this story, and it's kind of um, a comment that I saw that he is making a festival, Chag Hagez, the sheep shearing festival, just at the time when the whole nation is in mourning. Why are you celebrating when everyone else is mourning? This is a, a question that we have to ask. In any event, we'll take a look at the map for a second. Here is Ma'on. This is all south of Yishuzrushalayim, Beit Lechem, Hebron. South of Hebron is a place called Ma'on. And this is the desert of Ma'on. And this is Carmel. Now, Carmel usually means fruitful. This is not to be confused with the Carmel that's in Haifa, the Har Carmel there. It means a fruitful place. This is the Carmel in Yehuda. B'shem ha'ish novel, b'shem ish to Abigail, ba'ish ha'tova secha b'ifat Torah, ba'ish kosher, b'vram al-alim v'hu kolibi. Okay, we'll meet this uh, interesting couple. His name is Novel. Novel. And Novel, and Novela, it's, it's a, something vile, disgusting, a creep. And his wife's name is Abigail. Now, Abigail, Avi here refers usually to Hashem. Abigail, God is my joy, or God is joy, right? And the woman, Tovat Sechel, she is very wise, very intelligent, and she's beautiful, right? And the man is kashe. He is, you know, in Yiddish is an expression, a schwer baldomer. Someone's very hard to deal with. He's a hard, and he does bad stuff. The who Kalibi, and he is Kalibi. We'll look at that word in a minute. Uh, the Pashtas is from Kalev. But who made the shidduch? That's what I want to know. Who put together this complete rotten person with this tzaddikus? It's very hard to understand, but perhaps, uh, you know, who knows? Anyway, now Abigail, I didn't bring all these Madrashah for you, but Abigail is considered one of the four most beautiful women that ever lived. If you want the, the names of the other three people, always want the other three. Sari Menu, okay, Rahab. Abigail and Esther, those are considered the four most beautiful women in the Tanakh. But not only that, not only that, Abigail is considered one of the seven prophetesses. She is a Nubia. Now I have this here in the Gemara and Megillah. Yeah. 
here. Who are the seven prophecies? The Gemara answers, Sarah, Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, Abigail, Huldah, and Esther. Okay, so there you go. Abigail's right in there. Let's get back to our text. This is a great woman. She's brilliant. She's beautiful. She's a prophetess. And she's married to this rotten person. So this begs the question, is, was his name really Naval? Could, could it be? I really want to try to get you to Malbin again. Oh, there you go. Um, I'm sorry, the Radak. Vashem Ha'ish Naval, right? We said that he's so bad, right? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Oh, I saw it. Aha, here it is. No, 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 no. I'm so sorry. I'm not finding them. I'm sure it's in the dock. So you'll have to forgive me. Maybe it's in the Ralbar. I don't know. That his name could not have been Naval. It's like Isabel. Isabel, the Jezebel, the wicked wife of Ahab. Literally, Isabel means an island of dung. Isabel. Like it cannot be that that was her name. So it seems as if it's known, people know that he is a horrible person. And everybody calls him Nabal. Maybe not to his face, but they call him Nabal. Right? Later on, Abigail says about him, Kishmo Kainhu, which, by the way, is a very famous phrase until today, Kishmo Kainhu. He's just like his name. And um, this can be used for good or for bad if someone you know, has a name that evokes certain uh, types. So Kishmo Kainhu, he is Nabal Nabal. He is a rotten human being. And Rama is a bad guy. Now, what's the deal with Kalibi? So Rashi, by the way, says he's from the house of Kalib. That seems to be the simplest explanation. The Ketiv says Kilibo. He did what was in his own heart, which is um, one explanation. But the Ralphag says something very interesting here. Because of his cruelty, he had the cruelty of dogs. Dogs hate their own kind. They bark at them and they don't let them eat what's in their house, even though they have plenty. And that is the evil of Naval. In other words, the stinginess and the, the vicious, the evil toward others, he was like a dog, Kalibi. Now that's kind of harsh. Uh, I actually once had a, a student who could not get the name Kalib and she kept calling him Kalib. I'm like, you cannot call Kalib. Kelev. It really disturbed me. She had a problem with it. But in any event, we have to look over here. And this is a very interesting thing here. Where are we? Dibre Yamin. Okay. In Dibre Yamin, Perk Bet, the first, the first volume, Perk Bet, Ubnei Chetzron Ashenolad Lois Yerachmel Bet Rambet Kaluboy. So Kaluboy, the Rashi says here, that was Kaliv. So Chetzron had three sons, Yerachmiel, Ram, and Kalubai, whatever, or Kalev. So then we go through the whole lineage of David. Chetzron, this is familiar with this from the end of Ruth. Ram had Aminadab, Aminadab had Nashem, Nashem had Salma, Salma had Boaz, and there you go. And then he marries Ruth, and we go from there. But Kalev was a brother of Ram. And so is Yerachmael. Now, later on in this parak, Yerachmael, we find out, comes up above, Yerachmael marries, Vatihi Isha Acheret Yerachmael, Ushma Ataraf, He Aim Onam. Now, the Chazal the, say, the woman that Yerachmael married, her name was Ataraf. And I think, I think the expression in English, she was a trophy wife. And Ataraf is a crown. She was very beautiful. She was not Jewish. That's what Chazal say. Yishami says he took a nafrit, he took a beautiful non-Jew to uh, make a crown for himself because she was a, uh, a princess and she was beautiful. But <coughs> meantime, back at the family, 
right? There were three brothers, and, and this is the way novelists thinking. Yerachmael messed himself up, he married an Jew. Kalev, um, that's his ancestor, he didn't marry an Jew. And Ram, right, his descendant married Ruth. So he felt, he felt that he really was the correct person to become king. And this is why he says later on, me David ben Ishai. So this gives us a little bit of insight into what's going on in Nabal's head. Not only does he dislike David because he's a mean, rotten person, but he also is jealous of David and thinks David has no business, you know, being lining up to be next king because he's the man, he himself, Nabal. He hears that there's the festival of sheep shearing. <laughs> there seems to be um, a, a kind of um, minhag, and it's interesting because when we look at this story, it, it, in order to get our, head, our heads around it, David looks at the fact that Novel is celebrating the shearing of sheep. From David's point of view, first of all, Novel is his family. Now, according to the Medrash, <coughs> David's family was pretty well-to-do, but they were slaughtered by the king of Moab. So he doesn't have a family to turn to, and this is a relative, and he's extremely wealthy, and he's making a festival. So if you're making a festival, why shouldn't I have some? But it's more than that, because David has a claim against Novel, and this is something that we don't really understand, but researchers have shown that this is a minhag till today among the Bedouin type of tribes. And that is if a person um, helps out the shepherds and helps to protect them, then he should be given a reward for that work. So David has a certain claim on Naval because, as we'll see, he and his men helped the shepherds of Naval. Now, he sends 10 men, which seems to be like a, I don't know, a nod to a, uh, a minion, right? And he says, go to Carmel, come to Nobel, and ask him in my name how he's doing. I love this passage. What a beautiful greeting. And you will say to him, like this, you should live which means kolachai, it's like a, uh, you know, you should have the same success next year. It should go like this for you. It's been happy for you. Your success, kol, like this, lachai, for, for the future, for your chayim. And then three types of peace, he wishes, peace on you, peace on your house, and everything that is to you is peace. I think it's just a very, very beautiful um, um, <coughs> lesson. Reminds me of the gun when they pick the kids up in the gun and they say, you know, <coughs> they do one more. <coughs> Let's say the kid is turning five. They pick them up six times. They say, right? It's very, very cute. I went to. A lot of Ghanaian, a lot of parties of the Ghanaian. So I got to be a very big expert in this, a person in any of those songs. In any event, it's an interesting kind of greeting and it's sort of um, evocative, you know. The Malbin talks about it. He says, three types of peace of um, success of a person, his own peace. Atashalom, the peace in his house, and peace for his uh, um, possessions and those who depend on him. It reminded me of uh, Medrash on Elkanah. The Medrash on Elkanah says that in, in the Yalkut, that Elkanah, when he went up, all of his aliyot were his own. First, he went up in himself, and then he went up in his family, and then he went up the city, and he went up the country. And all the aliyot that he did were from himself. A similar thing 
um, but this is talking about shalom, this is talking about aliyah, but I think that there's a progression here that we can think about how um, things have to start from you. And there's a famous story about Rabbi Saul Salanter that he said, first I thought I'm going to fix the world, and I saw I couldn't fix the world. Then I said, okay, I'll fix Lithuania. And then I saw I can't fix Lithuania. And then I said, well, I'll fix, I don't know what it was, Vilna, Kumna City. <coughs> I can't do that. I'll fix my town. I can't do that. I'll fix my family. I can't do that. And then he said, I discovered that you have to fix yourself first. And then you can go on. And there'll be that ripple effect that if you bring yourself up, if you bring yourself to uh, a greater height, or in this case, to greater peace, then um, people will follow after you. That's like, uh, you know, I just had a short trip. First, put on your own mask, and then you can help others. If you can't, if you don't have any peace in yourself, you can't help anyone. And um, something to remember. In these tough times, we have to keep our equilibrium. We have to keep our own peace, and that way we can be helpful to others. I heard that they are shearing for you. Now, your shepherds were with us. We didn't let anyone embarrass them. They lost nothing. Absolutely. <coughs> nothing was lost for them. Their possessions were completely intact and uh, all the time that they were in Carmel. He says, Ask boys, they'll tell you. Let my boys find favor in your eyes. We came in a, at a happy time. Please give whatever you uh, can find to give for your servants, to David your son. So he claims a lot of things here. He claims that um, he helped them so much. Ask them. Ask, ask them. I helped them a lot. And and then he says it's a good day. You know, it's a celebration day. It's a day when you, you know, uh, are celebrating and other people can celebrate with you. And um, that's, that's a time. And, uh, and these are your servants. And I am like your son. I am your relative. He puts himself in a very humble position. He asks in a very gracious and a very respectful manner. And there seems to be, uh, you know, some sort of, um, what's the word? Some sort of social obligation here for Neville to help his people. It's not just something that David made up. There are other considerations here, right? One of them is that David is, he's, he's becoming known as the next king. So Shmuel's death, right? First of all, Shaul acknowledges that he's next in line, that you're going to be the king after me. And then Shmuel dies, and it seems to be rumors flying that Shmuel let out that he had anointed David. So in a certain sense, David also is coming into the role of king. And even though he's very polite and he's very gracious and he has given a service, he's still, you know, there's a certain uh, something due to him and to his people because he's the king. And the boys of David came to the young man and they spoke to Nabal all the things that David had said in the name of David and then they rested. Now it's a very interesting word there by Anuhu, but it seems from the Mepharshim that they took their job very seriously, which kind of reminds us of Eliezer I'm not going to eat until I tell you what I'm here for. Let me just tell you what I'm here for. And they tell him and they answer everything that David told him to say and nothing more. And they're quiet, waiting for Noble's reaction. And Noble answered the servants of David. He said, me, David. 
Well, me, Ben Yishai. You don't know David. I don't know the son of Yishai. Hayo, Rabu Avadim Hamitpart Simish Mipnei Adonav. There's a lot of rebellious servants today who are acting out against their masters. <coughs> so, first of all, first of all, when someone asks you something graciously and nicely, then even if you're going to refuse, you can refuse graciously and nicely. This is such a chutzpahdik put down that it's it's kind of like you know you ever get that feeling when someone says something to you that you're like you got a smack in the stomach. Who's David? Right. He's from Ruth. He's nobody. He himself is nobody. The son of Yisha, I'm not impressed. A lot of servants who are disrespectful and they, you know, they rebel against their masters. It seems to be putting, uh, putting David down in a very strong way, saying he himself is nothing. His family is nothing. And he's a rebel against the king. I should take my bread and my water and the stuff that I slaughtered and prepared for my shearers and I should give it to people. I don't know who they are, where they're from. I'm not doing it. Now he doesn't, as David says, tell him. Ask your guys how we were with it. Nothing there. Not interested. No. Right? Why on earth should I give you guys anything? And after the way they ask, even like we might say, okay, we don't really get this, you know, this sort of custom that they should be rewarded for helping the servants. We don't get that. But there is a concept of chesed. You have a lot. You're a very wealthy man. This is a band of people who are, are hungry. And just as a chesed. And if you're going to refuse, at least don't put David down. It's, it's, and this is the part that, you know, this is what the Raul Bog says. This is the dog part. I have so, he has so much. He has so much. Who are you? Why should I give you anything? I have nothing. I have no interest in sharing with you. And this is not a good thing. <laughs> they just turned around and they went on their way by by They went to they told David all the things that had happened Everybody get your sword on. And they all put on their swords. And David also put on his swords. And they went up after David. David has 600 men. He takes 400 for his battle, upcoming battle. And 200 to watch the stuff. Someone has to guard the stuff. So the reaction of David is very angry. Let us go and get it. Everyone has to come. They, the, the Chazal talk about this as a kind of a um, uh, a bait in because the last person, the greatest person in the group is the last person to put down his judgment. And um, yeah, David is, he's very, very angry. And he is, you know, we haven't seen this kind of reaction before but it's also part, I think, of the the change in David's status. Like he's becoming known as you know a serious candidate for the next king, and he's his the anointing is becoming known, and he has his band. He's not a person to trifle with, and if you trifle with him, you also could be guilty of rebelling against the king, which Noble accuses David of being a rebel against Shaul. But he's just done. I'm like, you know, this is it. We're, we're going out and going to fight them. It's it's kind of hard to understand Naval, but you see that he's, first of all, just a rotten person. 
and he's stingy and selfish. And there's also this concept that like, you know, me David, like I'm the next king. I'm the only one with the pure blood lineage and I'm the correct person. You know, and um, I'm not giving you my stuff. Reminds me a little bit of Gollum. Lord of the Rings. Mine, mine, mine. Okay, Pasigadala. Back, meanwhile, back at the ranch. <coughs> and one of the boys of those youth who had been shepherds, where David was, <coughs> comes to Nabal, Nabal's wife, Abigail. It's a very interesting thing altogether. They know there is no point in take, talking to Nabal. They say this themselves. And they know that she is, you know, she's the brains of the operation, maybe. Because they're not stupid. You know, they realize what a huge insult. Um, Noble just offered someone who was A, kind to them. So it's a tremendous ingratitude. And B, he's a person of great stature. Right? He might be a fugitive right now, but he killed Goliath. He's, he's a great warrior. He was the king's son-in-law. There's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't mess with David, and he certainly didn't deserve that. So he runs to Abigail and he says, you know, David sent messengers from the desert to bless our master, and he vayat by him. Now, usually vayat is like vayat ha'ayat in, in, in the Brit Brain of Tzarim, like see, an ayat is like a bird of prey. When it says vayat by him, so um, <clears throat> Bashi says he made the uh, takes the target, made them fly away, shoo them off. Now he corroborates what Novel never bothered asking. They were so good to us. They never let us be embarrassed. We didn't lose anything. The whole time that we were with him in the field, we didn't lose one sheep. While we were out there and they were with us and we were, you know, uh, shepherding the sheep, they were like a wall protecting us day and night. It's actually echoes, you know, Yaakov's uh, epic rant. I think I opened this for you against Lavan. And don't forget, Lavan and Novel the same letters. We're meant to make the association. Novel, Lavan. A trickster, or evil person, and 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 Yaakov gets angry at love, and he says, uh, <coughs> "What did you do to him? Why did you do this? In Twenty years, you didn't lose a single sheep. I didn't bring you anything uh, that died. If anything went wrong, I took the uh, the rap. I paid for it. Anything that was stolen in the day or stolen at night, but they said the homa night day night. You can't." help but compare it like we were they were so good to us and what how could you you know and she and he says the boy says to Abigail Mata see you see and uh, check it out what you could do here because the evil is 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 um is an expression meaning you know it's you know, it's it's over. There is no way that we can back out of this. You know, we are done for. So we're all done for. He's going to come, David's going to come and kill us all. And he, he that is Nabal, Ben Lial, he's such a wicked person. There's no point in talking to him. She does not waste a moment. First, feed them, right? Good Jewish mother, right? 200 breads, two flasks of wine, five um, prepared sheep, five uh, big measures of grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and uh, 200 of figs. And she put them on the donkeys. This is your tent. He said to her uh, servants, go before me. I will be coming after you. 
Loida, and to her husband, Nabal, she doesn't say a thing. Like the kid said, no point talking to him. He's such a evil person. And she does the same kind of shtick that Yaakov's doing in this week's Parsha. First send the food. First send the gift. And then you come afterwards. Exactly what Yaakov does with Asaph. He sends all the gifts so that it softens Asaph up before he meets him. And she's following after Pasukah. And she's riding on the donkey. And she's going down. Literally, this means at a, a part of the mountain that you can't see. And they're coming down to meet her and they meet in the middle. <clears throat> now, Rashi says that there was a valley between two mountains. She's going down this mountain toward them and they're coming down the mountain toward her and they meet. And meantime, a little bit of uh, um, going back to what's in David's mind, the David Amar. Now, in biblical Hebrew, when we have a, a simple past, that's what we call in English past perfect, right? All the things that are with above, the Hikuf, right, by Yoshev, that's all simple past. But this is David. And David had said, in other words, and here also Amar usually means he's saying to himself. So Pasach HaFalav and Pasach HaFeda, David's like, you know, thinking this over what he's planning to do <coughs> and how angry he is. <coughs> I watched all that's to this, this, in the desert. It was all for nothing. In other words, <clears throat> from here we understand that he does expect some something in return. I really watched all his stuff in the desert. Nothing was lost. And he served me a bad turn for a good turn. In other words, David feels he's extremely justified. He deserved some kind of reward for all of his hard work and his help for the shepherds. And he was given evil instead of good. And don't forget, echoes of chapter 24 should be in our minds, right? Um, Shaul says to David, you only did good for me, and I did bad for you. So David is very um, sensitive to this ingratitude, you know, giving someone back. And it says in Mishli, you, you, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to be grateful, not only not grateful, giving back evil. He's so angry. This is the oath, the biblical oath. That should God do to David's enemies and thus more. If I leave in his house one male, now mashtin bakir is a not nice expression, he who urinates against the wall, which is an expression for males. David is determined to wipe out Nabal's whole household. And this is what he's going to do. He is enraged. She treats David like a king. She jumps down. She hurriedly goes off the donkey. She falls on her face before David, and she bows down to the ground. And she fell at his feet, but told me, Be ani adoni haron. It's all my fault. And be ani adoni is please my master. This is what Hannah says to Eli. It's a, it's a putting herself into the, you know, uh, humble position. It's all my fault. Please listen to me. Let me say something to you and hear the words of your maidservant. In other words, she's just before you do anything, just let me talk. There's something very interesting here. First of all, she's talking about her husband, so she clearly doesn't like him too much. Let my master not put his heart to this wicked person, Al Naval, to Naval. It's a very famous expression, right? This novel person, just like his name, he, he's, his name is novel and he's an, 
uh, and Navala is with him. He's a disgusting, base, vile human being. And your maidservant, me, I didn't see that you had sent these guys. In other words, you know, like she's got a different uh, worldview than this wicked person. <coughs> Some of the arguments that she's going to use are echoes of chapter 24. When David says to Shaul, if you're chasing a dead dog, think about the dogs that keep turning up in this Navi. You're chasing a dead dog, you're chasing a flea. I'm nobody. So the first thing she tells him is like, is what one of the arguments he says to Shaul, she says, he's nobody, he's a wicked person. Why would you pay attention to this wicked person? He's just a creep. And you, my master, by the life of Hashem, by your life, I, um, the Hashem has sent, in other words, this is the subtext of Hashem sent me to prevent you from coming in blood. And, and saving uh, your hand by yourself. In other words, you should not be doing this bloody thing and taking your own revenge, right? And now, uh, all of your enemies should be like Naval and all those who uh, want evil for you. Now, this is saying, it seems that when um, Abigail is talking to David, she is having prophecy. She says, Every all your enemies should be like Naval. In other words, she's predicting his death, which is actually going to come <clears throat> quite swiftly. And she's basically saying to him, you know, you don't have to go out and take revenge against this nothing of a wicked, rotten, useless human being. God will do it for you. And you will have clean hands. Right? And let's first of all deal with the practicalities. And now I've sent this, this blessing, this gift, your maidservant brought for the youths that are with you. And please forgive your maidservant for my my uh, guilt. And, and here again, this is all prophecy. Hashem will surely do do what he's going to make for uh, my master a faithful enduring house. <coughs> and this is, isn't, cannot be a reference to the base of Migdash because that's something that Shlomo is going to build. It seems that he's talking about the the dynasty that David is going to establish. And so today we're waiting for Ben David to come, the Mashiach, right? You are fighting the battles of God. And there, there shouldn't be anything bad in anything you do in your life. And so she said a few things that like really echo what David says to Shaul, David says to Shaul, right? I didn't do anything to you. And he says to Shaul, I don't want to hurt you because only bad people hurt other people. I don't want to be a bad person. And he says, I'm not worth the whole struggle. These are some of his arguments to Shaul. And she echoes them. She says, I didn't know about this. I'm really sorry. You know, and you should not, like, he says at the end of Chaptalit, Bad people do bad things, but you, David, are not a bad person. You shouldn't be that person, right? You shouldn't be a person doing evil things. And novel is not worth, not worth it. That's what he says to Shaul. I'm not, I'm just a flea. And now she, <clears throat> again, um, evokes uh an amazing thing here. She says in Chapteth, And a man came up to pursue you and to uh, seek your life. And it seems like she's referring here to Shaul. And this is something we say till today, your soul 
should be bound up in the bundle of life. It's Hashem Elokecha, together with Hashem. But never shevecha, but the soul of your enemies, kapakela. Now, if you remember when we did the battle of David and Goliath, the kela is that, not the little T-shaped slingshot that we think of when, you know, Dennis the Menace. It's a, it's a long band of leather or something like that. And you put the rock in the kafakela in the center. And God is going to, she's saying, this is what's going to happen. You are going to live. And here it seems to be talking about life after death. Also, you're going to live bundled with life together with God. But your enemies will be slung like a slingshot and, 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 and sent off. I have this. I have time to show you this, but... Maybe it's here. Here. HaKadosh Baruch Hu al-Gufan Shot Tzadikim about the body of a tzadik. Yavo shalom yanucha mishkodotam. They will come in peace and rest on their um, uh, beds. And on the back of the neshama, HaYitzad nefesh adonit surah b'tzorah chayim. The neshama will be bound up in the bundle of life. But about evil people who will mer, ain't shalom amar shem l'amashayim. About the, the body of an evil person never will have peace. Very, very famous things that Abigail is saying to him. You're going to live. Nabal is going to die and he's going to get his punishment. You don't have to do anything about it and God will bless you and you will live. When God does for you all these great things, <clears throat> and you become the king over Israel, this incident should not be for you a stumbling block, right? And, a, and, a, and a, um, a, um, an embarrassment for you that your knees will, will fail. To, to kill innocent people, to make your own nekama. Right? And God will be good to you. God will be good to you. And then you can remember me. And she's saying to him, <coughs> If you do this thing, if you kill people, innocent people, that's always going to be hanging over you, just like no hangs over Shaul Amela. You don't want to have a skeleton in your closet. And God will take care of it for you. God is going to take care of this. She assures him this, and this, she knows this in prophecy. And then she makes this comment, and you will remember your maidservant. Kasala critical of her here, saying, you know what I mean? She's saying, when, when Noble dies... You know, just remember, I'll be like, you know, available. Because <laughs> I'll say, she would not have said that, but okay. And David said, Abigail, blessed is God who sent you to meet me. And blessed is your wisdom. And you are blessed. Have that saved me today from causing bloodshed and taking my own nekama. And I just want you to know, if God hadn't sent you to prevent me from doing this evil to you, if you hadn't hurried and come to greet me, I would have wiped out everybody, all the males before morning. She takes the food, the law, Amar, and he said to her, And he said to her, Go in peace to your house. You'll see and listen to you, and I am um, following what you said to me. Now, there's a whole, whole medrash about here about Abigail and the I didn't, let's just, let's just leave it with the shot here because we don't really have time for it. And it's kind of not, uh, it's a little technical and halachic, but basically he finds his tremendous respect for her and she has actually saved the day. And <clears throat> a basic takeaway here is Ezu Chacham, 
Who is the wise person, the person who sees the consequences? Nolad is literally the, the one who's born. But but basically, she's saying, David, look at the big picture. God's going to make you king. You're going to be great. Now God is going to zap Nabal. You don't have to worry about him. And if you do this thing, your whole future will be blotted and dirtied, which is interesting, right? Pasuk Lamed Zion. I'm sorry, Lamed Baba. He is lording it around like he would, as if he was the king. He's having a great time. Lave Tov means he's enjoying himself. He is drunk as anything. He doesn't say anything to him, not big and not small, until the morning. Because she knows when to talk to her husband and when not to. See, she doesn't tell him anything before she leaves. And uh, and it's just tell him when he's dead drunk. And she waits for the morning. When he sobered up somewhat, but went, why went And she said, by the way, Nabal, you were so disgusting to David, and he was coming here to murder you all, and I saved your cold. He is so shocked and stunned that his heart dies in in his, in within him, and he turns into a stone. So this, like, you know, I, I'm not sure what the medical situation here. Did he have a heart attack? Did he have a stroke? Something bad happened to this guy, and he is completely gone. Ten days go by and God strikes him and he dies. So the Chazal have all kinds of things. It says Rosh Hashanah. That's when he says Yom Tov Chag Banu. And this is a Seret made Shuva and Yom Kippur he dies. We don't really need to go into all the Midrashim. The bottom line is he's in the state for 10 days. Apparently uh, maybe God was waiting for him to do tshuva, and then he dies. And this represents for David a complete vindication and a um, justification of him. Like he didn't have to do anything, God took care of it for him. Blessed is God who saved my disgrace. From Naval, but it's Abdo He saved his servant that he's referring to himself, saved me from doing bad things. But God um, put the evil of Naval, he returned it on his head. He's very impressed with Abigail, with her looks, with her brains. She's got it all, and he sends a message. The servants come to Abigail and say, David has sent us to take you to your wife. This is much better shidduch for this girl. And she got up and she bowed down to the ground. She humbles herself. She says, I am I am your maidservant. I, I I would just wash the feet of your servants. That's that's She gets up and she hurries on her donkey with her five maidservants and she goes after the servants of David and she becomes his wife. Now Afterwards, you'll find that whenever we mention Abigail, that doesn't fit, you know, um, come into the story a lot. When her name is mentioned, she's always called Aisha's Nabal. Like David has, you know, taken a complete revenge on Nabal. He, God killed Nabal, and David marries his wife. And Achinoam. It's interesting. Shaul's wife is also Achinoam. This is very interesting. He also takes a wife named Achinoam, and he has these two wives. Meantime, Pasuk Memdalad, the Shaul Atzad Micha Bito Eishet David the Palti Ben Lai Hashem Megalit. 
um, we are at a time, and this is like a very complicated story, um, the Michal and Palti story, and we're just sort of beginning that story and uh, scratching the surface, so we'll leave it for next time. But somehow Shol convinces himself that uh, Michal's marriage to David is no longer um, in effect, and he gives her away to another man. So kind of an awful way to end the story, but we do see here a lot of a lot of good stuff. We see um, Abigail preventing David from a grave, grave sin, from going in the direction that Shaul went with no and allowing his rage to overpower his um, straight thinking and the, you know, Rois Hanolan, and she puts him back into the right, the right thinking. So, um, yeah. And she is a very, very great woman. Very great woman. Okay, we're going to stop the share and see if anyone wants to say anything. Hello, guys. Man, Rebus and Sharon, something. Um, hi, this is Yale. So uh, I, I, I really feel like I went through this very, very fast. I'm sure there's lots of questions. So very uh, interesting and um, complicated. So, yeah. So, if you have questions or thoughts or anything, you can put it in the chat. Um, but I, I'm trying to stick to one. Oh, there's a, there's a, Uh, why does Novel think he's no Novel? No, Novel thinks he is the most appropriate person to be the next king, because both of his brothers are family members who married women who weren't Jewish. So he, it, it's what you know, my husband would call living in La La Land. You know, there's nothing in Novel's personality that's remotely makes him suitable to be king. But he thinks very hardly of himself and is a wealthy man. In such a state, he puts David down. So if the rumors that, you know, the uh, the Malbim says there were rumors going around that David was anointed to be king, it could be that he doesn't hear them or he's not interested in them. And he thinks, like anyone who's descended from Yehuda, Yehuda had two sons, Peretz, and Zerah. So the descendants of Peretz were the ones who knew that their family was going to produce the kings of Yehuda. So somehow Nabal convinces himself that his brothers Ram and Yerachmael are not, not in the running because they have um, they've married out. So the, the fact that David's great-grandmother's Ruth keeps coming back to haunt him. But it doesn't, you know, um, comes up particularly in the case of uh, Shaul, when Shaul, after David kills Goliath, Shaul is like, who is this guy? And he's appropriate for him to be king. And Doeg says, no, no, he can't be king. He's descended from Ruth. And the, the Gemara goes on, it's a whole long story in, in the Abamos, and the Gemara says that he said that uh, um, Amasa, I believe, Amasa gets up and says, I learned from Shmuel, that the prohibition against Moabites does not apply to women. And there's nothing more to say. But it is going to be, you know, hanging over David, and people are going to give him a hard time about it. Very interesting. This is a theory that the Chazal have, that Nabal felt that he was better than anyone else. That happens a lot with, you know, um, wealthy people with rotten deeds. Now, according to the Medrash, Abigail tells David that he's such a novel. And she lists like various sins that he has. So, you know, she's very clear headed and she's not whitewashing him. And he's, you know, she lists a whole bunch of, you know, big Averis that he sinned. We don't like him. Now, it's very interesting that's the same letters as Laban. And um, I was trying to find the appropriate Tehillim, because it's always fun to find a Tehillim. And I found, I, I stopped the screen share, but you could check it out. Um, Perak Yudalit and Perak Nun 
Gimel, that's 14 and 53, they both talk about um, Amar Naval Bilibo. And there it seems like Naval is just referring to any bad person. And, you know, the Chazal say those, those Prakim are talking about Nebuchadnezzar and Titus, but it does say Amar Naval Bilibo. And then I found another interesting reference to Peretet, Almut Laben. Laban is the same as Lavan, is the same as Naval, and that's a whole situation there either. So all three of those chapters might be connected with our story, but nothing explicit, like, you know, with the Zephim and with Doeg, those are very, very explicit, and in the Ma'ara. What's your question? How do I get involved in Naval? <laughs> that's what I said. Who made that shit up? <laughs> Raj, I don't know. I don't know. It's what we call in a mekartas, you know. She did not know what she was getting into. There are a lot of bad. She's so she's so smart, and she's so world. right. But like she it seems a lot of divorces, unfortunately. But no, it seems she's so wise. You know, she's... she has Nabua, and she tells David like he's, you know, don't worry about him. He's gonna. He's gonna, God's gonna get him. And he does. It's this strange thing, 10 days. It reminds me of Ariel Sharon. Ariel Sharon. It was like a very long time, Ariel Sharon, this between life and death. So, turn to stone. Kind of spooky. Anyway. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. All right, ladies, I think we're gonna wrap it up. I went away, so I'm a little tired. I'm gonna go and get some extra sleep. Hey, Judy. Hey, Hannah. It's nice to see you. Okay. Lovely to see you too. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>